0: You are listening to the Reality Steve Podcast with your host, Reality Steve. He's got all the latest info and behind-the-scenes juice on Michelle's season of The Bachelorette and interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. Now, here's Reality Steve.
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome to podcast number 256. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Great, great show for you today. Dave Neal, comedian, YouTuber, Bachelor Recapper, is back on the show. Had him on this summer when everything kind of went down with me. He was the first Bachelor Recapper to really cover everything that what happened with me. He had me on his podcast. He came on mine. And it was a good time. Good talk. And another good talk in this one where we uh, dive into some things and take a look at it from a perspective that I don't think a lot of people look at. Uh, that way, so we will get to Dave momentarily. Couple things to go over here. Yesterday, posted more information. Clayton was on a one-on-one date with, I believe, Serene Russell. I have a picture of them. The pictures that I posted on Twitter and Instagram are not the only pictures I have. The ones I posted, <clears throat> excuse me, you can see them on the giant swing. At Galveston Pleasure Pier, obviously you can't see who's on the swing. It's way too far away. And then there's pictures of him winning a giant teddy bear or walking out with a giant teddy bear. I'm assuming he won it in one of the carnival games for her. But the picture that I have is before they even went in there, it's still from a distance, but looking at the women, the 33 women, all we have right now is what was released on Facebook three days before filming began. And so I went back they're all on my Instagram page and my Instagram feed under Clayton's women takes about five posts. And if you look at all of them or four posts, if you look at all of them, I looked at all of them and I'm like, this is, it's gotta be serene. Even though we only have one picture of serene, her Instagram was set to private. Like every single one of them are. So we don't have any other pictures of serene really other than the one that was submitted for the Bachelor Facebook page for the reveal of his possible contestants. But I don't know. I guess just trust my judgment. I do think it's uh, serene based on the fact that it is a black woman that he's with in the picture. So that severely limits um, the 33 women because I believe he only has, maybe he has like 8 to 10 uh, women of color this season. So that limited it down. So I looked at all of them and compared it to the picture that I had. And I'm like, it just it it really looks like serene, even though it's a side view from a little bit of a distance. But um, the one thing I can see is hair length. And it looks to be the same hair length as the woman in the picture. So, I mean, I guess we'll find out moment, you know, shortly or as we get closer to the season. I'll I'll get it doubly confirmed, but right now I'm going to go with that one-on-one date yesterday was with Serene. So there was a one-on-one on Monday, the group date with the involving the Houston Texans at NRG Stadium was on Tuesday. Tuesday night's after party was at the Hughes Manor. Wednesday yesterday was the one-on-one at Galveston uh, Pleasure Pier. Don't know where the night portion was. And then tonight is the rose ceremony in Houston and it is going to be at the post, which I didn't know what the post was. I'm not from Houston, but when I Google it found out it's like an old library that's being rebuilt into kind of a office space slash shopping mall slash entertainment area, but it doesn't even open till November. So they are going to do the rose ceremony I heard on the rooftop of the post in Houston tonight. So nobody be able to get close to that. I guess if you hang around the post, maybe you see them arrive. But, yeah, it's tough. Um, I do have video from Tuesday night. Some video and some still photos. But, again, it was at night. It's very tough to tell who is who. And um, it was uh, in regards to the football date. But it looks like 13 women were on the football date, which makes sense. 15 women go to Houston, two get one-on-ones, 13 play in the football game. And I I believe, obviously, six on one team, seven on the other. So, yeah, that's that's where we're at in uh, filming for Clayton's season. They are headed to Canada. Like I said, I initially posted they were going to Vancouver. Then I got tipped off the other day about something possibly being filmed in Toronto. So I'm not 100% sure. I know they're going to Canada next. That's a given. I was told that before the season that Canada was an option or Canada was a location for this season. So we'll see if it ends up being Vancouver or Toronto. The one thing that I can say in past seasons, because we're back to a normal filming schedule where they're going overseas. As you know, they're going to Austria and Croatia pre-hometowns, is that the one thing that I can I, I can say is we have... Every time that they have had a regular season bachelor season and travel was allowed they always did a US east coast city before going you know to Europe or to going over to China wherever um cuz they've been to you know Vietnam South Korea all those places and they usually leave from an east coast city makes sense it's closer So that's why I'm questioning maybe they're not going to Vancouver, because why go to Vancouver and then go to Europe? Certainly you can. A plane can get you there. It just a plane can get you there, what, five, six hours earlier if you leave out of an East Coast city versus Vancouver. So I don't know. We'll find out uh, soon enough. And so that's that's that with Clayton's filming. Michelle's season starts on Tuesday. I'm just going to kind of put out there, you know who the final two are, you know who she picked, you know who she's engaged to. I will remind people and kind of go over everything that I do know about the season, which isn't a ton. Uh, You know that. I don't have an episode-by-episode breakdown of Michelle's season. Um, There are pictures that got out during the season, and we kind of know some things. But um, I'll just recap that on Tuesday when I do a reader email. So get your reader emails in for Tuesday. I'm going to do something as we lead into Michelle's premiere on Tuesday night, just recapping what has been posted all season about Michelle and then kind of go from there and recaps will start uh, next Wednesday. And you know, one other thing, this has nothing to do with the bachelor at all, but this just came up the other day. Cause I was thinking about it. I've, I've been through it when I've been in Vegas and this is so off the track. You are gonna be like, Steve, where did this come from? I don't know. Sometimes my mind just wanders and I wonder and I have questions about things that I never get answers to. And And I guarantee a lot of you have never thought about this. And why would you? But, you know I like Vegas. You know I like going to Vegas and playing craps and cashing out and go to the window and get my money and stuff like that. I've always found it weird. And does anybody else think about this, or am I just totally bizarre, that the largest denomination bill we have in the United States is $100? Like, there's not a $500 bill. There's not a $1,000 bill. So there's certainly not a... bill or $10,000 bill. The largest bill we have in the United States is $100. And I looked it up and I was like, did this end? Did we ever have a $500 bill or a $1,000 bill? And it looks like, I think I Googled something and found out it it stopped in 1969 with the $500 and the $1,000 bill. So they're out there, but they're almost collector's items and they're worth more than their value. That's on the piece of paper. It's just always been weird to me. I mean, look, I've gambled, I've won a good amount of money sometimes at craps. And when you win a few thousand dollars, they pay you out in hundreds. It's 100, 200, 200, 400, 400 1, 100, 200, 300, 400, 2, 100, 300, 400, 300, 400, 300, 400, 300, 400 300. And if you win a good amount, they just keep going. I mean, you win 10, 15, 20,000, it's all hundreds. And you just got this wad of $100 bills. I don't it's just weird to me. I don't know what made me think about this recently. I haven't been to Vegas in a couple months, but it's just weird that the largest bill we have in the United States is $100. But again, I guess, I guess we don't really pay for stuff in cash anymore, and if we do, it's not something that's worth thousands of dollars. So maybe I get it. We don't need $500 bills. We don't need $1,000 bills because – very few people pay in cash. But this did end in 1969, apparently. So it's not like we were using debit cards back then. Way more people paid in cash in the 60s and when when this ended. So I don't know. I just found that to be an interesting footnote in American history that the largest denomination bill we have is $100. Just doesn't seem like a lot, does it? We have a 5, a 10, a 20, a 50, and a 100. That's it. Not two, but twos are very rare. So one, two, five, 10, 20, 50, and a hundred. I know. Totally, totally off topic. But I just was thinking about that the other day, and I was wondering if anybody else ever thought about that, that our largest bill is a hundred. Please let me know if you do. Anyway, let's get going. Podcast number 256. Here he is. Let's bring him in. He is a comedian. He is a YouTuber that covers all things Bachelor, Bachelorette, Bachelor in Paradise related. We've had him on before. We're having him on again. It is Dave Neal. Dave, how you doing? Good, man. How are you? I'm good. And I just want to say right off the bat, <laughs> you are a machine. Dude, <laughs> we are recording this at four o'clock Central Time on Wednesday, uh, the day before most people are going to be listening to this. And you've already put out five YouTube videos today. Like, you know
0: what's uh, funny? It's you know what's crazy. The funniest part is, is that my fiance and I are supposed to be putting our wedding, uh, you know, invite list together, and she knows I'm making like so much content, and I can't do the- my my own wedding planning.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, because I was like, okay, and I knew we were going to talk about some of these things today because you were going to need to help me out because I haven't listened to any of the interviews that were put out this morning. Piper, okay. was on with Becca and um, Ivan was on with Nick. I haven't listened to either interview. I read Us Weekly's recap of Ivan's, uh, like, the revelations from the interview, and it really didn't seem like there was, I mean, really anything major. We'll we'll talk about it, and you can maybe help me out uh, explaining a couple things to me or what was actually revealed in that thing. But the fact that you've already put out five videos before 2 o'clock Pacific time (laughs) – is I mean congratulations to you, man. That's awesome. So you've di- you've you've broken down uh, Ivan um, defending Brendan and Piper storyline. Ivan talking about his conversation with Chris Harrison before he went on Paradise. His sneaking out of his hotel room. You broke down the Piper and Becca interview, and then something else. I definitely want to talk about the questionable judging scores last night on dance with the stars. <laughs> I don't really understand I'm surprised they haven't released a statement today because a lot of people are like, "Wait, what the hell was that? I don't get it." So, yeah. And as far as I know, they haven't released a statement. I haven't checked every 30 minutes or anything, but I haven't heard anything from Dancing with the Stars. But first, let's just start out with let's start out with Ivan. I didn't listen to the interview. So, can you just give me a uh and give the the listeners uh, just kind of a breakdown of What you heard and your interpretation of it in terms of his talk with Chris Harrison, the Brennan Piper storyline, and his sneaking out of the hotel—like, what did you, what did you gain from that interview? Because he hyped it up, like, "Hey, whoever gets me is gonna have a really big uh, scoop on their hands." And it, based on what I read in the US Weekly recap, it was like, okay, a couple things, but nothing outrageous yeah well, I'll say this you like what I like about being on the West coast is I can
0: generally like usually a lot of the Instagram accounts will have all the highlights of these interviews before I even wake up. but um I was up pretty early this morning so I actually listened to them, which I mean I probably only listen to like a small percentage of these things in entirety. I just don't have the time. I mean who has the time, right? Yeah, but um Ivan's like a very analytical engineering minded guy, so he talked a lot about how. His words were twisted around with Chris Harrison, how he never said he wasn't going to go on Bachelor in Paradise, but he just said it would be difficult. Like, yeah, logically speaking, it was a difficult time to associate yourself with Chris Harrison still is. So he said it would be difficult. Uh, Chris Harrison called him. They talked for half an hour and he said he felt better about it after. So clearly, like behind the scenes, Chris Harrison was trying to make these people make. make people feel comfortable you know uh anyone who might be on the show yeah uh so that was kind of a little interesting part where you know i I think what what i think there's probably a lot of stories of people that that have either been in contact with chris harrison that just haven't spoken up about it because maybe it's the wrong side of the story to be on but i feel like more of that will come out over the next year or so um and and like i said in my recap i would have much preferred a scenario in which Chris Harrison has those conversations with Ivan around the campfire. And then the people that are like purely just Chris Harrison fans, maybe they would have learned something. Uh, Maybe they would have uh, had a little bit of growth versus Chris Harrison becoming some sort of martyr. And then, and then now he's not, um, now we don't get to hear any of the stories because he took the money and he signed his NDAs and we'll never hear any of that. So I thought that was just like a missed opportunity to you know, maybe have some progressive conversations about all you know the inner workings of what was going on with the Chris Harrison situation.
1: Did Ivan ever specify in the interview today that this conversation with Chris took place before it was determined that Chris was definitely gone from the franchise? Or... Oh
0: yeah. I mean, this was like Chris Harris and I I took it as Chris Harrison wanting to talk to Ivan so that he wouldn't feel uncomfortable if they were both on the beach together. Okay. So So, yeah, this wasn't determined
1: that Chris was out at this point.
0: Right. Okay. Gotcha. And then, you know, yeah, obviously the Ivan had had that tweet that said, whoever gets my first interview, there's going to be a lot to say. And I just feel like he, he, he wasn't willing to give it to Nick, which I totally understand. Like Nick wants like who, like, who wouldn't want to hear the most salacious tea? Nick wanted it, and then Ivan wasn't willing to sort of give up a lot of the people that might have been there for the wrong reason. You know, he it was, you know, kind of I would say political about about all that, which I can respect, not you know, knowing you know you are basically just gonna be, you know, like like uh it's it's one thing to like do a tell all with your memoir where you're making your money off of it. It's another to give another podcast all of your goods. So I'm sure. I'm sure someday if he has any extra info he'll he'll get it out there but um yeah he he didn't really uh he didn't really open up about too many things that were um I don't know stuff we couldn't have put together but he did say that Brendan you know was interested in other people like Bree I guess the biggest info from that podcast was that Nick dropped that he had a source that told him that Brendan this is confusing Nick had a source that told him that Brendan. Uh, slid into Bree's DMs after having started talking to Piper, so that was kind of a well. Was it, you
1: know, wasn't wasn't Bree just recently on Nick's podcast? Clearly, Bree's the source. I mean, I, I, that's not hard to figure out. I would think right, <laughs> right. And then
0: and then and then Ivan said, "I'm not going to say anything," but that sounds like a credible source. So they did a whole lot of confirming that. Okay. On there, um, and so you know, as I, I I struggle with what I believe about the Piper. Uh, Bre- uh, Brendan th- situation because obviously we heard and saw stuff that they said but also like you know if they had started like Ivan confirmed that they started seeing each other in, in April that's when they met and when did they go on Bachelor in Paradise end of May you know if you live in, if you live in Boston and in New York and you go to see each other a couple weekends it's 2021 I can totally see them not being completely um, you know uh, having their relationship defined but the fact that they saw each other the day before they both went on Paradise makes it really hard to believe the storyline like they didn't know that they'd run into each other on the show. So there's just like a lot of loopholes in, in what Piper is saying, a lot of loopholes in, in, in um, what Ivan is saying, Brendan told him. And you almost just want to like I – just, I just wish they could do a do-over and get their story straight.
1: Well. It just also seems like, and correct me if I'm wrong here, it just seems like they're we're fighting over semantics on this because mm. it seems like to say, hey, we were not boyfriend-girlfriend. Well, yeah, it's, I, I, I can see that. But you're also downplaying what you actually were. The fact that right. you did see each other, Piper said to uh, Natasha on the show, ten times versus Brendan saying two. Clearly, Brendan was out to lie and downplay because he didn't want to seem like he was scheming, which is exactly what he was doing to get a rose to continue and wait for Piper to show up. But are they lying when they say we weren't boyfriend-girlfriend? Probably not, because they probably hadn't established a monogamous, exclusive, one-on-one boyfriend-girlfriend relationship. But did both of them probably know in the back of their head that was the one that they wanted to be with? Sure. So they can get away with semantics there.
0: Exactly. I said the same thing. It's all semantics. Like, yeah, sure. The relationship's not divine, defined, but clearly it's going to feel like um, you're emotionally cheating on each other because you're, you're putting the energy, you know, that that's what the, t- the talking is done with your energy. There's, you know, there's they're taking the train to go see each other. There's obviously something there. Um, Piper in her interview, and I know it's kind of all jumping around, but yeah. they're all, they all go, it's almost like we're like the saddest. We're just the old guys in the, in the, uh, detective ward try to piece it all together here we got like a bunch of yarn and photos (laughs) it's just so sad but uh, but everyone's everyone's trying to figure it out because you have you have so many different quote-unquote truths coming out of different people's mouths and then we as the audience we watch something go down and it just doesn't line up and i think humans are more intuitive than we give ourselves credit for being but piper very much sounded like a taylor nolan in the way she spoke like there was not really much grace or humility. It was kind of like factual and it didn't really feel like um, I don't want to say it didn't feel sincere, but it just didn't feel like she has understood the gravity of what she has gone through, you know, because Piper says, hey, look, we're still together. We never said we weren't. But then she posts the photo that says a singularity. She lets the stories run that they're not together. Brendan unfollowed her. It's just like get your lie together or fess up.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I Like I said, I didn't listen to it, so I can't say if if it came across as insincere or disingenuous, whatever you want to call it. Um, I don't know enough about, you know, the whole thing with Brendan and Piper was more so about Brendan to me than Piper. Piper clearly lied going in, downplayed. She knew she was. But when we saw Piper appear on Paradise for the first time, she made it clear I'm here for Brendan. So mm-hmm. it's not like she didn't. It's not like she lied in that. Brendan was the one that was downplaying it. Oh, we only saw each other twice. Natasha clearly went directly to Brendan and asked him, "What about these Piper rumors?" And he downplayed it, you know, because she hadn't appeared yet. So my thing with the Paradise thing was it was it was much more. I'm not absolving Piper of any uh, of any blame here because she certainly was part of this. But it just seems like this is more about Brendan and what he did and his treatment of M- Natasha than it was what Piper's role in this all was. When she clearly made it known from the second she stepped on the island, um, I'm here for Brendan, and she yeah. just she just didn't talk about what their past was until Natasha confronted her on it. So yeah, I don't absolutely. know. I mean, and she and she only lost you know like when we look when we break everything down. Brendan lost over a hundred thousand followers. She lost 10,000. So maybe a lot of people agree, but maybe that's also Brendan had three times more followers than she did. So maybe that's why he lost more. I don't know. Um,
0: And I also wonder, like, I don't know about you, but my audience on YouTube is about 92 to 95% women. And I think that's probably reflective of what the bachelor nation audience is. Yeah. And I wonder if, and, and rightfully so, but I wonder if the audience was triggered in seeing what Brendan in, in seeing Brendan stringing along Natasha, because everyone's been in that situation, whether you're divorced or you dated someone who wouldn't commit or someone cheated on you, everyone's been strung along and had their time stolen. So I wonder if the audience saw that, what Brendan was doing as that much more egregious. And that was enough to pull the trigger on the unfollow versus like, um, like you were saying, Piper was just waiting to come on the show. Like I would love to see a different, uh, parallel universe where piper was the first one on the show to see if she would have strung someone along waiting for brendan or what that would have happened because that would have been very interesting
1: did becca ask her that no (laughs) no
0: that didn't becca did a good becca did a good job of asking questions like she got right into it but it's i guess and and i'm the same way where i take people for their word and it's getting me it's gotten me in a lot of trouble just on the surface level because i'll be like if If someone apologizes in bachelor nation, I believe them. I just, that's just, maybe I'm small minded. Maybe I'm naive. So when I hear Piper talk for me, for me to think that Piper's being disingenuous, that says a lot because I'm the first one to be like, oh yeah, I feel sorry for so-and-so. Like I I can have grace for Natasha and also feel like Brendan and Piper really went into this, you know, like like probably with good intentions for themselves, but like any narcissist, if that's what Brendan is, you're going to hurt other people because you're so focused on yourself. So all he was doing is trying to survive to, to wait for Piper. And, and, and then because of that, he cast awake and caused a lot of harm to Natasha.
1: Yeah. And it seems like that is something that Brendan has addressed in a seven minute Instagram video that was kind of all over the map and then he said more was coming, and I don't know if we ever got more. It just seems like it'd be best, and I know that people want answers and they want apologies and all this stuff, but it seems like every time Brendan speaks about something regarding this situation, he puts his foot in his mouth. So maybe it is better if him and Piper continue this relationship that they claim is still going and just disappear because – Anything they say, and I'm sure just like she was on with Becca today, I'm sure everything she says is, you know, you did it, Um, you know, it's dissected, and they're going to take every uh, sentence that she said and and spin it. If you don't like Piper, you're going to find a way to spin it to make you not like her even more when there's probably a lot of things that need a full context of what she said. But like I said, I never heard it. So I, I'm not sitting here defending her or anything, but I know the way these things go. I know the way the aggregators go, where they take <laughs> something out of one thing, but they don't give you the full context of things when they, when they, when they uh, review or, or recap something. So that's all I'm saying is like, look, um, everyone's going to have the right to listen to that and make their own uh, assumptions. But, knowing the way this works and knowing the way that Brendan and Piper are viewed in bachelor nation audiences eyes right now, they're already, they already have a negative tone towards them. So anything that either one of them says, that's not hundred percent apologetic and a hundred percent sincere. Someone's going to call it out. And it's just like, okay, well maybe like you're looking for something negative here because it fits your narrative that you don't like them. And, you know, look, I went through this six months ago and, you know, we, we talked about this the last time you were on and I just kind of see the way things go. If people already don't like you, they will find anything you say and turn it into see they're not, you know, being honest or they're not being sincere or they're lying versus, Oh, you know what? You know, that was that they were being honest. They were being open. They were being vulnerable. They did tell you how they felt at the time. And I think people just, they just don't like to do that because they already have a narrative in their head. Like, I don't like this person, so I'm going to find everything I can to support that narrative.
0: You know, you you should start a call center like Reality Steve's call center for people that have been misunderstood. <laughs> <laughs> there's everyone. I mean, look, you're absolutely right. Uh, there's nothing worse, and I've and I've only gotten a, 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 a tiny like um, sniff of this myself, but there's nothing worse than feeling misunderstood, mischaracterized, misquoted. Uh, not having your intentions kind of met because a lot of what people do, you know, on the Reddit or, or whatever in bachelor nation is they'll they'll sort of take the words out of the air of what you said. And then, and then people can apply all of their senses to those words versus hearing, watching, digesting what someone's saying. Like take someone like, um, Rachel Kirkconnell, mm-hmm. she gave the seven and a half minute apology of her lifetime. And it was only the start of her moving forward. But she did it with humility. She did it with her own uh, understanding of the levity of it all. And she's like the benchmark of how to apologize within Bachelor Nation. And yet still people like I, like if you look on the Twitter threads about Matt James on Dancing with the Stars or, or or whatever the case, they still hate her. And she's for the most part, if you just follow her in her own vacuum, putting out a lot of positive energy into the world she seems to be a very nice young adult and i guess you just have to learn that you're not going to please everybody and i don't know if that says something about the individual or bachelor nation in general but you like i don't know what advice i'd give people other than just to be authentic and true to yourself and understand the haters are going to exist out there you know, yeah. and and no matter what you do, you can start a you know, you can cure cancer and they're still going to be like, well, but let's pull up the old tweets. It's like, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. And,
0: no, and, and to I've... me, it's about moving forward. It's about how, how are we today? How are we moving forward? And how do we use our platform and the people we can touch to just be better versions of ourselves? It doesn't seem like that's rocket science to me.
1: Yeah. I've I've said it about social media, but it, it definitely applies to Toxic Bachelor Nation, the fan base that. You know, if somebody in this franchise that is disliked saves five burning, five cats from a burning building, somebody ultimately will say, well, why didn't they save all 10? You know, they'll find something. (laughs) And that's that's where my when you talk about I don't know if it's the person or the bitterness of the fan base, it's it's for sure the bitterness of the fan base. And and look, this was only one email, but I got it today. It was in my reader emails. And somebody just asked me a question that said. What does Rachel Kirkconnell even do? Does she just follow Matt around? And it's just like, and that's all they wrote. And I don't know who this person is, but clearly there was a disdain in a one sentence email that they're bothered by the fact that Rachel is, I guess, profiting or doesn't have a job. They're like, you know, what is Rachel's job? Well, she's an influencer, clearly, just like a lot of these people are. So why aren't you mad at every other single influencer on the show that doesn't have an eight to five job, which is seemingly what they were hinting at. Like, why doesn't this girl go back to work? Why does not she, you know, she's just following Matt around. And yeah, ever since Rachel and Matt got back together, everything she's posted has always been with him. She's been to concerts. She's been to games. She's been to numerous different cities with him. She's now in LA with him during his Dancing with the stars stint. But it's like, what do you care? Like, what does it matter? Let Rachel do and let every single one of these contestants do what they want to do. This is what the show is. Now they, a lot of these people go on with the sole intention of, yeah, if I make it far enough and I make a big enough name for myself in this franchise, I will not have to go back to my probably boring job, um, whether I'm a whatever I was doing beforehand, I can be an influencer and I can pitch product on Instagram, I can possibly be on another show and stuff like that. I mean that's what this show has become. and if you're looking at this show to find out to find people who are you know salt of the earth people that want to work nine to five jobs you're, you're 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 barking up the wrong tree and you're looking at the wrong show sorry
0: yeah you know and you know it's funny you mentioned uh rachel's instagram trigger warning no one go don't go on her instagram if you're hungry because <laughs> they post the best food They're, they eat nothing but like cheesy amazing foods and i'm like wait till you're 30s yeah you're, <laughs> you're gonna not be able to do it's nice to do that at 23 but Um, but yeah, so I made a video earlier this week about Anna Redmond. Anna Redmond posted a a message on her Instagram story about how she's broke or she, she was broke after being on the show, how she worked multiple side jobs, plus worked as a junior copywriter and, and worked as a bottle service girl and all these things just to buy a condo. Now, the point of her message wasn't to share the state of the world, but my, my reaction to that was what world do we live in? where you have to work three jobs, one of them being your full-time corporate job and a bottle service girl just to buy a flippin' condo. You know, I live in LA, cost of living's insane. And I got such a positive response from people being like, yeah, this is ridiculous. The state of like the, it's not even political, but like the state of where we are in our country as as the wealthiest country in the world, that influencing is such a cash cow, it's because all the nine to fives are the, they, they, they suck the soul out of you, right? So you can't look bad on the influencers who figured it out. If if that means going on a dating show where you might fall in love, but you might just also sell yoga pants for the next decade, cash in. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm fully in support of it. Yeah, and because, I just... like, why
1: not? I, I hear it coming out in, you know, an email form, but I can verbally hear it. These, the fan base that watches this show are people that probably are in jobs that they're not thrilled with and they work eight to five and they're bothered by the fact that these people didn't, you know, weren't known before they went on the show and now they're known. They have hundreds of thousands, sometimes in the millions of followers and can now quit whatever job they have and travel to different cities, you know, shoot photographs of themselves on a boat, on a beach, you know, professionally done with makeup artists and all that. And people get bothered by that. I don't, I don't care what they do with their lives when it comes to post show. I know that's what the show is now. And I just think a lot of people haven't ex- accepted that, even though this has been going on for a good three to four years now, this isn't new. Like these, this is what these contestants are going on the show for. We even heard, you know, the discussion this season with Brendan and Piper talking about Instagram followers and then a couple other people in Bachelor Nation chimed in. I think Blake was one of the first ones like, yeah, that's what people talk about on this show. They all know that they're going on for influencing and for, to get more followers because they know more followers equals more income. And the times that we're in right now and, you know, people losing jobs and the pandemic and all that, the whole goal would be to make as much money as you can while you can.
0: Yeah. And. Absolutely, and for me, it's just like you know the old adage: you can walk and chew gum at the same time. Like if you're in a situation like Zach and Tasha, or even Abigail Noah, th- these are couples that people want to follow, and you can fall in love and also quit your corporate job and make a lot of money. So it's not one versus the other. Brendan and Piper very much might—they might really like each other. I mean, they're still together. I thought that I thought she would have thrown him under the bus if 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 they didn't have a solid connection because she she was kind of given every chance to throw him under the bus, blame him for it. Uh, he he could have fallen on that sword and she's still with him. So like she doesn't need that and if, and some people say well maybe he's manipulating her. Who who really knows what the case is? But but yeah, they you, you you have a chance to to um to do both. You have the chance to do both, Go on the show. Uh the obviously what we saw with Brendan losing 100,000 followers is that there's a risk you're going to get a bad edit. There are good people. I'm not, I'm not saying Brendan, but there are people that have come out of this like Thomas that are looking pretty good right now that people hated several months ago. So you have the chance, even if you're a decent guy to come out of this with a bad edit, that's kind of the sort of like the roll of the dice that people take when they go on the show. So why not, you know, cash in when it, when it
1: works for you? Yeah. That's one I've definitely dwelled on is Thomas because I, you know, I've said it numerous times when it comes to this fan base as well. They have a very, very short-term memory because I cannot tell you how hated Thomas was when Katie's season was airing. And the things that people said about him for the Bachelor comment and they just called him skeezy and just like, oh, he's just trying to say what he thinks women want to hear and he's a total liar and all this stuff. And then he gets with one of the most popular women in the franchise – and all of a sudden, the, you know, the tables turn. Oh, maybe Thomas isn't such a bad guy. When in reality, if Thomas got together with Victoria Larson and they connected in Mexico, I guarantee the sentiment towards Thomas Jacobs would not be what it is right now. It would be, oh, those two deserve each other. Oh, my God, both villains. You know, it wouldn't be like, wow, Thomas is a really thoughtful guy. And, and you know, he's sitting down with Victoria and he's really seeing Victoria for who she no. it's just it's It's just very easy to see through a lot of the fan base of, you know, Thomas got with Becca, and she's literally one of the most popular people. I just, I think that was almost, you know, I'm not going to say it was gameplay. I think there's people out there that might say it was. I don't know. But it surely helped the well, image you know that he was getting on, the image that was portrayed on Katie's season. Surely did a 180 once he got with one of the most popular women in the franchise.
0: Yeah, and like, I don't I don't blame Katie too much for her, for how she handled it, because she's, she's flying in the dark. She doesn't have any information on these guys. And she has a handful of guys that she likes, you know, Trey, Aaron, these to her, these are, these are guys that they're telling her he's a bad guy. So she's got that, like we said before, that confirmation bias where she's looking for him to be a bad guy. She cross examines him. We already, we already saw that Thomas isn't really good with being cross examined. He's almost like, I, I, and I say this with so much respect but he's kind of like a, like sort of an idiot with not understanding he's being cross-examined. When the guys are like, you're telling me you wouldn't be The Bachelor? He's like, yeah, I would be The Bachelor. Aha, we got you. And it's like, oh, he's just, he's never been in a scenario where he hasn't been able to like be with good friends that, that are, like he's never been in a scenario that um, anyone's ever tried to catch him in a lie here. And then what happens is, I think what works in his favor on Bachelor in Paradise is that they didn't share his storyline with Becca. We had to learn about it through Tia, being like Thomas gets Becca chicken nuggets. We had to learn about it like through the periphery. So it was almost like by not jamming the Thomas Becca storyline down our throat, people were like, oh, wow, he actually is a good guy. Cause you kind of could just like see it through the clues that were out there. And then lastly, the one thing Ivan, the person Ivan talked up the most in his interview with Nick was Thomas. He said, look, when the cameras weren't on, thomas was clearing everybody's plates like getting everyone drinks he was just a good guy so you know interesting that's yeah so maybe maybe it was just the format of bachelor where 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 every guy's competing for one person maybe that put a target on his back as a tall good-looking sort of guy and maybe that just spiraled out of control but it looks like I mean, it looks like they're the real deal right now. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised, and you probably know more about this stuff than I do, but I wouldn't be surprised if they get engaged anytime soon.
1: Yeah, I mean, engaged at some point. I don't know about soon, just because we're dealing with Becca, who's already been through two broken engagements in this franchise. I think she definitely, yeah, that's true. <laughs> definitely yeah. would want to take some time um, with him. I haven't heard anything other than what what is shown on on social media, that, yeah, they're definitely into each other, and they spend a lot of time together. They've literally spent... The last three months together, ever since about a week after uh, filming ended. Um, so, you know, they they seem to be in a good place, good for them, and you know, we'll we'll see what comes of it. I just the whole thing was just very comical to me because you know, covering the show like I do and hearing when those first four episodes, five episodes of Katie's season was airing, and how much disdain the fan base had for Thomas. And they had no, and nothing he did could have possibly changed their minds other than get with Becca because he got down to par he got down to paradise, and guys were still attacking him and still saying, "Dude, we think you're fake, dude, we think you're phony." They literally sat him down on the bed and told him instances where they felt he was being insincere. So yeah. no, nothing really changed other than he got with the most popular one of the most popular women. In this franchise. And that's and that's all I'm saying is that it it was just very interesting to me to see the way this fan base kind of sways. They sway with the popular crowd essentially is 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 what it turns into. And and that's not the only time they've ever done that. But um, it certainly is interesting because like I said, if Thomas would have gotten with someone like Victoria Larson, it would have been like, oh, two villains. They deserve each other. Thomas Thomas will never learn and stuff like that. But he got with Becca and all of a sudden it's like, wow. Maybe he is a good guy. And look, the thing with Katie in the beginning on, on, on her season, I I didn't even I never I never once had an issue with him saying the bachelor stuff. My issue with Thomas was he just came across as insincere to me. And he seemed my issue was the same issue that Aaron and Trey seemed to have with him. He just came across as phony, but I was only going off of what the TV showed me. I don't know the guy, but we all have opinions watching the show, and my opinion was he said things that I I thought he said things that he thought women wanted to hear versus what he actually believed. And that was, and that was what I thought of the guy. And that was Yeah. Brilliant. And,
0: and, you know, like uh, they played that, they played that clip on bachelor in paradise where he, where he sort of says he's a tall guy every time you meet somebody. And what, what's important for like empathy with others is to imagine somebody as like their their child version of themselves and like a very old version of themselves. Because we look at this guy as this strapping, tall, D1 athlete, successful business owner. But like, look at him as like maybe a five or six year old who's trying to make friends. So like his kind of thing is like, all right, I mentioned that I'm tall. That's it. That's his opening line. And while it would work on the one to one, it doesn't necessarily work when the editors are like, compiling every conversation where he calls out his height, but that's just his icebreaker. He's kind of just seems like an awkward guy stuck in like a super, like a superhero's body. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And you know, we just don't know uh, enough about him. And when the, and when paradise was airing, the only guys that had any experience with him were Katie's guys. So they were the ones that had to chime in and fill people in because no episode had aired when any of those people had gone down to paradise. They had no idea about Thomas, his edit, his character, other than what Aaron, Trey, Connor, and those guys filmed them in on, and none of those guys liked him, and they made it known. Um, So, yeah, the whole thing is, it's interesting. Um, Like I said, the fan base is is very fickle. That's the best way to describe this fan base.
0: Yeah, humans are very smart and intuitive, like in the singular, but the group think that can exist regardless, a political party, a cult, Uh, bachelor fan base yeah whatever that group think is it's just safer to be on the side of the mob than it is to be like hey hold on a second maybe so-and-so is not too bad and then you get downvoted to hell everyone tells you you're a piece of this you're that and it's like oh okay i guess we're not doing critical thinking i guess that's not something we're good at but you know that's that's literally exists throughout humanity we just have the subsection which is bachelor nation which is like You got the woke side, the non woke side, the bachelor nation, people of color, the, you know, there's all these subgroups, but the bat, the Reddit group, which I've said, my, my, like, I have a Reddit with my name on it. I don't hide who I am. I think the internet works better when everyone knows who everyone is. It's like, that's a polite society. The idea of not knowing who's like, I I will not argue with somebody if I don't know who they are. It's just futile. And people resort to these barbaric measures and then that's on that's on them to do but you know you 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 probably you've probably gotten a ton of hate from people and it's like you get frustrated because you don't know who you're dealing with you never get it in person you never get this face-to-face conversation it's just somebody dumping all of their issues onto you and it's like that's just not how it works yeah. in real life <laughs> it's just not how it works
1: well yeah and you I mean you, you talk about the you know bachelor nation and toxic bachelor nation and you know the crowd of people that you say you want to argue with somebody that you know your name is out there and the same goes for me like everything that i've ever said my name is behind it and that's always been my issue always been my issue with you know community boards message boards you know places like reddit is it is nameless faceless people saying whatever they want and it's just like I just don't have time for that. I, it doesn't make any sense to me. You're everyone is yes, I get that everyone is entitled to opinion, but their opinion, but sometimes your opinion just doesn't need to be heard, especially when we don't even know who you are. And, you know, I I, I really think that Bachelor Nation when it comes to this is and that and that's where the disconnect between me and certain uh, you know, fan base of this show and when I address it. All I'm really saying is, look, if you're one of these people that constantly comments behind a a screen name or whatever, then, yeah, I'm speaking to you. But I'm not speaking to the fans who have followed me for years, the fans who have listened to my podcast and read my columns and stuff like that. It's I'm not speaking to you when I call out haters and trolls. I'm speaking to the people that perform this behavior, which is just go on and blast everybody and everything's got to be you know, so negative. And that's been my biggest thing when things have been sent to me in regards to Reddit. It's just like everything that I read that has sent to me at Reddit is just a giant echo chamber of negativity. It's just a pile on <laughs> mentality of they all think one way. And like you mentioned in your last answer, it's let's all get on that side because God forbid we get on the other side and actually present a compelling argument. It's still nobody's going to listen because we're in the minority, and that goes to the other thing about you know oh this contestant in Bachelor Nation follows this contestant, so now we must hate them, and it's just like wh- where's the where do we draw the line on stuff like this? Because now people are being hated because they they're still following them on Instagram or they still like their posts, you know, and I'm talking I'm not talking about liking posts that are you know racially motivated. Or you know, homophobic or something like that. I'm just talking about a regular post where it's like, oh, did you see so and so like their post? That meme must mean they're friends, and we can't like them anymore. It's just like, good God, what are we in sixth grade now? <laughs> yeah,
0: the yeah the, the as soon as the Brendan a uh, great unfollow happens, I mean, we are covering you know you know me three videos a day, yeah, uh, just <laughs> watching it go down, and and then and then the and then the comments very you know would start to come in dave why are you still following him <laughs> and i go no no that's not how it works yeah all right like that's just not how it works not in my, not by the rule book i play by yeah uh, so i just i just kind of tell people no like that's not the conversation we're even having if that's a question you're having and you need to cancel me because you know like how far down the human centipede are you willing to go with this type of stuff and and i and and i don't so so you know there's been people who's that are in bachelor Nation who's boyfriends or girlfriends have done something you might call morally questionable, a, a gentle plagiarism. How far do people want, how far do people want to go to track down, take, take the next bachelor. I don't know if we're going to talk about who he is, but you know, so, so his, his mom's commented on a Q question, uh, you know, uh, uh, board. And my response to that was if like, everyone's got a parent or an uncle who you disagree with politically. And then of course someone responds, all right, so you're enabling them, Dave. It's like, all right, stop it. <laughs> yeah. Just stop it. That's what I mean. It's already it's like, it's hard enough doing Thanksgiving with your family. <laughs> now we've got to pick a side and disassociate from everyone else. And that's what creates a sort of like um, modern civil war that's happening about ideas is that we're not, people don't even want to go to the bargaining table to have discussions because it's so heated. Like I would very much, No, not not that I care to like do a bunch of interviews, but I would very much hear what Brendan has to say. I would very much, um, I know you've had this problem where people might've been afraid to talk to you when your name was radioactive. And it's like, come on, these conversations have to happen. Yeah, This is a good thing.
1: Yeah. And I think that's where, like I said, that's where I just don't, just don't involve myself in it. What's the point? You're never going to win against a mob mentality like that when all they're doing is looking for every single thing. Their narrative in their head is already negative. Nothing you do or say is going to change um, their mind. And, yeah, that, that mentality of, Dave, you're still following Thomas, or you're still following Brendan, so you, you're you enabling what he did. It's just like, no, no, that's bullshit. Stop it. That's not an argument <laughs> to make. Because you know what that turns into? Dave, you're following Brendan. Brendan did this to Natasha. Therefore, you approve of what Brendan did to Natasha because you're following him, and that's just total bullshit. That's just not and, the way. It
0: and goes. I and you know I and I know we both feel this way. But credit, well, I don't want to speak for you, but I think you'll agree, credit where it's due. Most people are kind, and these are, and I feel like like something like five to ten percent of. Twitter and Reddit users are the ones that actually do the commenting. And I think what makes at least my channel popular is that people understand there is like this 80 to 90% bubble in the middle where we can have these conversations. And it's the, it's almost like the people that are so far in their own on their own sides that create the headlines. And then we can break them down and be like, all right, this is ridiculous. So-and-so is not evil. So-and-so is not this. And, um, and, you know, and, mo- and most people, most comments I get are very nice comments from people, but obviously the ones that stick out are the very unreasonable people that, you know, don't have any room for negotiating.
1: Well, that's the other thing with me again. I, you know, when I do my reader emails every week, I basically post every single email I get every week, unless it's a repeat of a question, because then I would just be answering the same things over and over. But, um, most of them, 98, 99% of those are either just questions, comments, or positivity. And yet, you know, in the, in the Reddit links that have been sent to me, it is nonstop of how horrible of a person I am. And I'm just like, (laughs) again, that's never sent to me personally. If they, if, if that, if it's, if it's because I just said that now it's going to start being sent to me personally. I mean, great. I guess I, I guess I opened it up for myself, but, um, it just never happens. And, it, you know, if it, if it if it lends to a few more, that's fine. And it's one thing to, you know, criticize, you know, the things that I did in the past and the Demi situation and the old writings that I had. It's definitely one thing to email me and, and give me your thoughts on that um, and have a constructive, you know, back and forth, which I think people can have. It's just when you just fire off a bunch of name calling and stuff like that, it's like, okay, well, I'm not going to print that email because there's, there's no point and I did get a few of those and there just wasn't a point because it's just like I'm not gonna go back and forth with somebody like that because they are clearly so far gone in terms of their opinion of me, me coming back to them and even trying to have a rational conversation with them is an effort in futility. It just wasn't it's not gonna be yeah, really hard yeah. to me.
0: But And you know, like I, I also think, you know, people will listen to this conversation and say, Oh, they're complaining about cancel culture or whatever, whatever you know, whatever people want to take from it. But it's just a, uh, you know, we're just a couple of guys that see it from our side that understand how unreasonable people can be. And it's just like, you know, we're just, you know, we just both recognize that it's like, it's not, you know, progress, progressives are supposed to want progress. They're supposed to want change and growth and, and moving forward. And that just to me doesn't come from not being able to like have conversations where people disagree. But, you know, like I said, I think most people get it. It's just, you're going to get people that, um, that don't listen to podcasts, but just read the quote and you'll get, you know, that, that, that exists across our political spectrum across. It's like, it's almost like all of the modern media benefits from salacious clickbaiting and I'll, and I'll have some clickbaiting stuff too, but like, what, but if you're going to listen to what I'm saying, we'll break it down in a way, in a way, reasonable way. And, you know, yeah, uh, you know, I think everyone who listened to my chat with you, I mean, virtually, the first comment I got from someone, I don't think we talked about this, when, when you and I chatted on my YouTube, the first comment I got was from somebody who sent me an email and he was like, you're going you're gonna to get a lot of hate for this and let me tell you why. And he, and he did a line item of all the reasons I was going to get hate. And believe it or not, not one, and I'm, I'm serious, not one person gave me hate for that conversation we had. So I was like, oh, this guy was like trying to brace me for how bad it was going to go. And then everyone else was like, no, no, you guys had a good chat. You covered a lot of topics. You were, you know, you were inquisitive to your your own journeys and this and that. So not to pat us on the back here, but, you know, I think people for the most part uh, are can be reasonable. And when, when they hear you out and listen to you and a lot of people on my channel said, oh, I got a different perspective of him after, you know, after everything else that was said about him. So, you know, I think there's some faith there that the truth and um in conversations can still happen but you know to someone whose eyes are closed and they have their own opinions it's almost just like you know you just kind of move on from that
1: yeah and i don't think we're sitting here complaining about cancel culture i mean i i i don't feel that we're doing that and people might say you know oh steve you went through it and you you know i you know i had people telling me i was going to be canceled and you know it was something that i literally addressed um specifically and answered the question when someone asked it to me, do I think I'd be, I was going to be canceled for what happened. And my answer was no. And then everybody ran with, and, and, and and I'm not even exaggerating here because you can just go back and listen to the podcast, go listen to Mike Johnson and Brian Abisolo talk on their podcast the week after everything went down with me. And Mike, I mean, I listened to the whole thing. Mike was visibly, well, not visibly because you couldn't see him, but, verbally bothered by me saying I wasn't going to be canceled. But he all he did was leave it at the word Reality Steve saying he's not going to be canceled, and then he went off on that. What Mike didn't listen to clearly was the fact that I said, look, what I did, the Demi situation and my past writings, when we're talking about, when I was asked, are you going to be canceled? To me, I was just thinking practically of... Chris Harrison just got canceled because of everything he said. He lost his job. I was thinking, Steve, are you going to be canceled? No, I'm not going to lose my job over this because I'm my own boss. And my in reality, Steve is still going to exist, and my podcast isn't going anywhere. So that's the way I answered the question was, no, I'm not going to be canceled because I'm still going to have a job, and I'm still going to release spoilers. And I don't think, I don't think anything that happened with Demi or any past writings from years ago are going to – change people's opinions of when I say, hey, this is who Michelle picked. Are they going to be like, no, I don't want to read it because it came from Reality Steve? No, if you're interested in spoilers, you're going to read it. You know, That's <laughs> the way I was looking at it. and But Mike saw it completely different and just got so verbally upset that I said that I wouldn't be canceled when there was, again, way more context to what I said. He just took the headline of Reality Steve says he won't be canceled. And I just, you know, look, and I will say this, the first time I've ever talked about this, Mike emailed me. And because he heard my response to what he said on his podcast. And all I can say is I'm not going to share what Mike said to me. I'm not going to share what I wrote back to him. But I will say that we pretty much pretty much agree to disagree. Um, We're just not going to see eye to eye on 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 that topic. And probably because, you know, he's good friends with Demi. And, you know, I expect him to take her side on everything. And and I wasn't defending myself against Demi. I was defending myself against the cancellation um, quote that he had a field day with. So, yeah, it's stuff like that. Like we're not complaining about that. I see how it goes, but this does bring me into a topic that I want to talk about with you. As I feel like we covered Paradise and Piper and Brendan and Ivan, all that stuff. Um, I, you know, you're a stand-up comedian, and you've been in comedy for a while now. And with cancel culture, and now people, you know, becoming more offended they than they were, say, five years ago. Have you altered your comedy at all? Are there topics now that you just won't touch for fear of backlash?
0: You know, great question. Um, I'm not personally, I don't consider myself like as far as comedy goes, a lot of it is um, sort of uh, uh, autobiographical. And, and with that there, I'm not the type who's like, let's talk about trans issues. Like that's, if I have a friend, like I I got a new bit about my buddy coming out of the closet to me. So I I talk about that. I'll talk about, things that might you might initially be like all right where are we going here but like that's that's what's good with the tension of stand-up is you build tension and then you break it with a punchline i there are i'm trying to think are there words i don't use anymore i mean there's still like stand-up jokes that if you saw them on paper you might consider them pretty risque but i get a laugh all the time from people of different communities because their personal experiences and they're like anecdotal about how like how we grew up like growing up in new england the way you know, homophobia was used as like a currency between your buddies to see like, uh, you know, like, you know, calling each other gay and using, I mean, that all exists, that all existed. And and I don't think comics are trying to pretend like it didn't. Um, there are, you know, when you do stand up, there's different forms of like, you're either talking in the first person versus the third person. Now, don't get me wrong. You'll, you (laughs) You know, it, you can't be a white guy on stage using dropping certain words. You just—it's just not going to pass. Um, but there are definitely scenarios that you can explore that I don't think cancel culture, like I don't think that affects comics in in the way where like you know, it's it's the people that will write down your joke and then maybe share it and then and then it's like people don't like you, but were they ever going to come to your show in the first place? I mean, I released a, a vlog yesterday talking about um, a, a family member of mine who's homophobic and the, the standups on it's on my Dave Neal vlog channel. It's, it's out there. Go People can go watch it. I'm not, I don't hide behind my material, but it's definitely not something where I'm like, like a Shane Gillis type and no, no offense to him. He's a really, you know, he's, a, he's, he's actually doing, he was the guy who was like canceled on SNL before he even joined and his standup career is like flourishing. He's all, like, he's, he probably makes way more money than he would have if he stayed on SNL. My, my, my stand just not, not like that. It's not, it's not something that I have to like wonder, you know, like what angle am I taking? But I will say, I still get it. I still have the privilege of working out jokes at places where I'm not being filmed, you know, in case the joke doesn't hit the way I want it to hit. Um, there's, you know, it, like, like for people that review Broadway shows, you're not allowed to review the Broadway show until it's at that point where they let you review it. You know, they do the, what's it called? Like the rehearsal shows yeah. where you can, you know, it's like, you can't review it until we're ready. And yet in stand up people will just take a copy of your set. And it's like, no, 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 this isn't an album. I didn't release this. Uh, this is my piano practice in front of a live audience. I think most people understand that. I think most people get that that's how it works. And I think the culture that we live in has made stand-up more popular than ever. I mean, some people have argued that it's going away, but I don't see that. I think I think it's more popular than ever because, because people are saying things that they wouldn't be caught dead saying on, on sitcoms or even SNL. Like, that's become, like, um, so uh, careful with how people speak that people want to go hear, like, actual opinions and points of views on topics um and i think stand-up is one of the last places where people do that you know i mean that because it, you can't be fired you can't be fired if you have your mailing list in your audience dave chappelle will do stand-up in a park if he wants to he doesn't care you know dane cook lost all of his money to his brother his brother stole millions of dollars from him he started doing stand-up in in random places that you know would, would have them like you can you can just you know cancel culture only works when you can, when someone has a boss.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know? well, that, and that was the other thing that kind of went behind my stance of when I was asked it because I didn't have a boss. I worked for myself. So how could I have been canceled? That's the way I answer the question. But in <clears throat> going back to comedy, you know, I've been, I've been a fan of standup for years. Um, people that have listened to this podcast long enough know that I used to wear out the VHS cassettes of old George Carlin, old uh, Roddy Dangerfield stand up at his place when it was once a year on HBO. Like I waited a year for that, his comedy special to come out where all the new up and, you know, up and coming young comedians back in the early eighties. I mean, I was watching stuff that I probably shouldn't have watched now that I think about it, but now, probably <laughs> taken. but you know, hearing, hearing Andrew Dice Clay in fifth grade, you know, tell his nursery rhymes bit, do his nursery rhyme set. It's just like, okay, looking back on that now, I'm almost like, I can't believe I, my parents, let me watch that or whatever. But I, one thing that I took from one of George Carlin's specials, and I'll never forget. This was as a comedian, he said it. And I've heard many comedians say it is they say that no topic is off limits. Any topic can be made fun of as long as it's about how you construct the joke. Um, Do you think that's the case anymore? Or do you think that there is topics that are still on the table?
0: Well, you know, like, rules are meant to be broken. So you set rules up, no wearing shorts on stage. There's just so so many rules, move the mic stand out of the way. There's so many rules that you set up and there are rules like, yeah, maybe, maybe if you're like a new comic, don't try to tackle topics that you can't make funny. But then there's people like, um, you know, comics that called out Bill Cosby. I mean, Bill Cosby, that whole thing happened with him getting exposed because of a comedian on stage in Brooklyn talking about it and comics can bring a lot of logic to situations and and call out absurdities i mean you it used to be like guys like lenny bruce would they would get arrested for saying swear words it was like we've come a long way from that but comedy can speak truth to power now don't get me wrong there's plenty there's so much bad comedy out there you know like i you know i I, what i love is i love going to open mics and small stand-up shows where you're trying to watch comics work things out it's the most diverse place in the world from every ethnicity under the sun trans every gender i mean comics of all types are up there spilling their heart out sharing their opinion there's no quicker way to build empathy with other people than to hear all these creative people share what they share on stage to to say so and so can't talk about something takes away from what might become a real gift in the moment which is speaking to absurdities, speaking to like like i like i got this new bit i'm working on about how the same people that are afraid of catching gay aren't afraid of catching covid and it's that like it's like a logical joke about how like it's this close-minded thing like you're afraid of catch gay but you're not afraid of the pandemic and the only way to connect those two is the word catch you know if i say the same people that are afraid of turning gay, then I I lose it. It has to be catch. Well, when I say catching gay, I'm sounding kind of homophobic at, at first, but, but I'm, but I, but I spin it and turn it into the people that are, that are the closed minded ones. So anyway, um, there's my, my favorite quote that I think most that, that, that I can fall back on is Patrice O'Neill, the late, great Patrice O'Neill. And he said, the attempt is what I'm trying to fight for. The joke may or may not be funny, Funny jokes and unfunny jokes come out of the same birth. You don't know if anything is going to be funny. You should attempt to be able to make anything funny. And that's like, like anything like in the laws, it's, um, you know, what was the motivation, the motivation behind something makes all the difference there. So with comedy, if you're trying to be funny, I think, I think on stage, that's where you test it out and could it be triggering to some people? Yes. Could it be wildly offensive? Could people walk out? Absolutely. I see it all the time. But sometimes I've seen people walk out on comics and then weeks later they're getting um, praise and standing ovations because they figured it out because they switched a few words around. Sometimes you don't come off as empathetic at at first and you need to readjust it. I have this thing when I go on stage, I look like an asshole. I just like – I look I kind of I, I'm nearsighted. So I'm squinting. I just look like an asshole. So I have to like remind myself to smile and remind myself to start off a joke about having a single mom and build empathy with a crowd. And it's, and you can relate it back to someone like Thomas. He looks like a million bucks. He's tall. He's good looking. He's successful. And it's hard for people to relate to someone like that because he looks like he's got all the privilege in the world. But, you know, if he shares a story about, you know, some, you know, you know, uh, some scenario in his life that knocks him down to everyone else's level, then we realize, all right, we're all humans here. So, you know, a lot of times if you have a tough joke, you want to work on, you start telling the joke about getting dumped. You start about the joke where you shit your pants, you do the jokes that everyone can relate to. And then you're not, just coming on stage with some like aggressive thing. And I've seen, like I said, you know, all over the country, you, you, you can go to the places where it's the, it's the most PC crowd in the world and anything can fly if it's done in the right context. So it's, you know, and, and just to, to relate it to this, I saw Matthew McConaughey running, I think he's running for governor in Texas and people were asking him what political party he's a part of. And he goes, I'm not playing that game. I'm not going to tell you what side I'm on. Because then you're not going to listen to my ideas. It's going to become tribal to you. So for some people, if I if I was to say, oh yeah, no, I'm fine with rape jokes, then that's all people hear. I don't have a rape joke. I don't have there's you know I, I don't. But I but I know people that tell about their own their own instance of that you know coming from the side of a victim, and that might be very cathartic to people. I don't know. Like that's that's above my pay grade. But I don't I don't think there's anything that can't be said on stage and, and turned... Uh, like, I, I mean, e- even mentioning it now, other people's... I just heard a really great joke by um, a, a lady about um, something that happened to her as a child. And she was able to turn a tragedy, probably one of the worst tragedies in her life. And she was able to make light of it. And for her, that was empowering. That was empowering for her to do. And that might be empowering for other survivors. And I think... By banning certain things, we are trying to we're trying to protect others. I think that's kind of what a lot of the PC world is doing is trying to protect others. But I think that misses the mark of what actually might be accomplished.
1: Yeah. So no, that's, my, and the, that's my thought on it. The other thing about comedy, I mean, it's just it's completely subjective. I mean, some people will sit there in a at a comedy show and watch any comedian and some people will be just keeled over, tear streaming down their face, laughing And somebody might not think that person is funny at all. And they're hearing the exact same thing. So the fact that it's so subjective makes it such a, that's why I've always taken kind of a fascination to the comedy world and the, and the world of stand up, just because it's like, what makes somebody that well liked in comedy? Why is this person so much funnier and more successful? You could say, well, they have better content. They have better jokes. Yeah, but it's still subjective. Like, I love Sebastian Maniscalco. I think he's hilarious. I've seen him twice now live, and I think he's hilarious. But um, there are probably some people that don't think uh, Sebastian Maniscalco is funny. And it's just like, what? how did he get to the position that he's in? Why is he one of the best arena? I think, I think I read something in terms of stand-up comedians. He's top three in terms of income generated, like top grossing stand-up comedians going right now. I think he's in the top three. And, and, I, like, bet, and I bet half
0: your listeners don't even know who that is. Yeah, exactly. You
1: know? And it's and it's yeah. amazing because he's he's everywhere. Yet there's still plenty of people that didn't know don't know about him. When maybe it's just because there's so many more um, comedy acts out there now. I, I don't know because when I was growing up, you know, when Eddie Murphy released Delirious and Eddie Murphy released Raw. It was like he was he was the guy. He was the guy in stand-up. Now you're ask well who's the guy in stand up? Gosh, I don't yeah, I don't, well, I don't know. is it still Chappelle? You know, I don't
0: know. Oh, it's yeah, for sure. I mean for sure he's the he's the goat. Good, um, because it's based yeah, on it's, it's
1: a, ticket sales and where where you're performing. If you're performing in front of a club that has, you know, 150 seats versus somebody who's performing in arenas, I guess the arena guy is that's the person who's it. But that you could say that for Kevin Hart does arenas, Chris Rock does arenas, Sebastian Maniscalco does arenas. Uh, Chappelle does arenas like, so who is the best, you know, I don't know. It's just subjective at this point.
0: And then a lot of comics will say Dave Attell is the best and he doesn't do arenas at all. And a lot of people don't know who he is. So there's different tastes, but we live in a world where comics can reach their audience without the need of like anyone else. They can just have a booking agent or just their own email list. And you realize like there's something called like the 99 fan principle or maybe it's called the 100 fan principle. But like if you if you have a product you can sell or maybe it's a thousand fans. Sorry. But if you have a product you can sell every year, like a ticket to your show or a book, you know, you can have a very nice six figure income with only a thousand people. So a lot of comics will have something like 20,000 fans that scattered across the country. They bring a few of their friends and you can do comedy clubs your whole life and make Mid mid six figure income, you sell your merchandise, you s- you know, you, all the other things. Uh, my generation, we're finding the Internet success. There's a lot of comics like Tim Dillon who's making fifty thousand dollars a month on Patreon. He doesn't even like do his podcast for everyone because it's so vile. He's like, I'm not even going to try to do the business mold. Um, my YouTube channel, you know, my ads are always turned on. You know, I try to play by the YouTube rules. And yeah, there's just you don't have to have. But I will say this. Um, art in general, you know, curves into a direction; it evolves, right? So, like, what Eddie Murphy was doing on stage couldn't survive an open mic in today's world. Oh God, no! I mean, <laughs> he he goes on stage, you know, wearing tight leather pants, saying like, "I don't want no f-words," staring at my, you know, whatever. He yeah. was like 23 years old. I'm looking at he, you know that that like um the 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 movie version of that grossed 50 million dollars. You don't like. It's the bar is set high. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of entry, and it's just like like YouTube and and other social medias like TikTok and Instagram. You see all the successful people, but there's so many people that are pursuing it that get nine downloads on their podcast. There's so many people because the barrier to entry is less. That I think that when, when, what I see with standup, people like Sebastian or all these other comics. They, they work it out for 10 to 15 years in obscurity. And then one day they pop yeah. and then they just, and then you get to see this product that everyone goes, where the hell were you? And it's like, well, he was in a smoky bar yelling at people who didn't want to pay to see him. And now, now, you know, he can sharpen the, the knife with an audience that appreciates him. And, you know, you, you can quickly see how, how um, that path can merge over time. And I mean, I've done stand up for nine years Uh, improv and acting before that and like i don't i mean i'm just through youtube starting to get a couple people coming out to see me so like it's a long road but i think it's i think the longer it takes you to build a following the harder it is to take it away you get someone like brendan builds a couple hundred thousand followers because they thought he was a charming guy they realize he's not they take it right away it's like the quality of your follow is dependent on the equity you have built within whatever system you're working in.
1: Yeah. And what equity did Brendan build up? He was on eight episodes of, <clears throat> of tatius you know, Claire slash Tatia's season. And we just didn't know enough. He had a good enough edit and he left and he seemed sincere, but then the next time we see him is on paradise. He said, "All all hell breaks loose." Um, a yeah. couple of yeah. things. couple of things I want to end with. Um, the two seasons we have coming up. First, let's start with Michelle's, and then I'll talk a little bit about Clayton's. Um, I just want—I'm curious if you're—if you're on the same boat with me, in the same boat with me, or it's just you thought maybe you haven't even thought about this—that this whole idea of Michelle being the Bachelorette six months after she was Final Two on um on matt season it almost feels like striking while the iron was hot with michelle would have been if she would have been the bachelorette and filmed in march when katie did like we mm-hmm. still don't we still don't know why they chose two we, do, we still don't know why one of the two happened to be the 11th place fin- 11th place finisher on matt season we don't know but they made their decision katie's gonna be our bachelorette but we're also gonna give it to michelle but we're gonna air michelle in october and i just I, you know, I'm going to cover the season and I've already given the spoiler of who she picks and whatnot. But the bottom line is I just see it as like, they really missed an opportunity. I think Michelle was a lot, her, you know, her, her level of popularity and her peakness was, seemed to be more in March and it would have been made more sense to have her film the March season and then maybe give Katie, you know, film in July and her air in October. I just, I feel like she's lost momentum and nothing to do with her. It's not her fault. I just think the show misread that, and yeah, I mean, I'm not saying there aren't anybody as excited for Michelle's season. Clearly there are. However, it's still six months from the time we last saw her on television, and it's like, okay, we got to get reacclimated to her as opposed to if it started when Katie's season did. She started filming right after that, after the final rose, immediately went right into filming, started to see her in June. I don't know. just makes more sense. I felt like she was hotter back then, not looks-wise. But I'm talking yeah. about as a as a contestant on this show. Her interest level from the audience was a lot higher in March than it is. Oh, here's Michelle. I mean, I think a lot of people probably for I guarantee people watching the show next Tuesday are going to forget that Michelle finished second on Matt's season.
0: Yeah, I think the key will be if they can if they can hook viewers on the first episode. I think Michelle's got the charm the all the things you look for like she's got it all but like your your point it's almost like how becca kufrin she was kind of scorned so bad people were so rooting for her they went right into you know she had a quick turnaround i believe right yeah so um yeah i can totally see that but also it might have been too quick on the production side because uh chris harrison was replaced for the um after the final rose right so that's when they announced um katie and Michelle. And I just wonder if they didn't have enough time to cast for Michelle. Uh, that could be my only thought, uh, um, yeah. that Katie already had a deal and they were, cause you know, they were adding, uh 'cause cause normally they, they, um, they, they would have, uh, you know, Katie's season ended up being like just a bonus season really. Um, but it, it's interesting. I mean, it's, uh, I think that's probably the logical thing that happened in that they wanted Katie and then they saw the outcry for Michelle. And, you know, cause I feel like they didn't realize the, with Greg Grippo, I don't think the production realized the distaste people would have for him. Right. Because he was kind of getting the, the edit, like he got his own eulogy after the end and this and that. Yeah. So I wonder if, if with Michelle, they didn't realize the outcry of people who would want Michelle to have her own season. So they did the thing any parent would do. And it's like, all right, you both get a Snickers bar. Stop fighting. You know, I think that's kind of their response to this scenario. It's like, all right, if we can buy another season, we'll, we'll just buy another season.
1: And look, if we're being honest, you know, the Chris Harrison, Rachel Lindsay thing and Rachel Croconnell happened. That all blew up beginning of February. Right. Yeah. Beginning of February of this year. They were probably already into casting Katie as their bachelorette or at least uh, at least speaking with her. I almost think that you know, adding Michelle and saying, oh, we're going to give her a season was almost an addition because of everything that went down and the criticism they were taking for being so horrible with um, women of color and people of color in this franchise. I almost feel like um, the show kind of gave into the public perception that this show is so white. That like, OK, we'll give you Katie, but look, we're going to give you this as well. And I think if everything doesn't go down with Chris and none of that ever happens, there's probably not two Bachelorette seasons uh, in the 2021 calendar year. Just my opinion.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and look, it's not you know, it's not always a bad thing. Like corporations are super safe. Like they've said in the past, they would have kept a white lead forever because that was their midwestern southern market it the change comes from the audience so i I fully support the audience being like no 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 no. we want we want michelle like like let them vote with their dollar let them do that but you're right if there wasn't if if there wasn't this um chris harrison issue uh that that was kind of like a chain of events that led to them being like all right well let's keep the ball rolling here it's just it's too bad because i think it would be great to see a ton of different people be the leads, but there's one per season. Yeah. They got to choose who they choose. Um, obviously, you know, obviously after Michelle's season, they've chosen to go back to a white guy and that pissed off a lot of people where, what will the next step be? We'll just have to wait and see. Like, I don't know who these guys are. Maybe, I mean, I don't know a thing about him. Maybe he really has a great story, or maybe it's just like a safe move by them. They'll pay the price if it's like a bad move, you know? So I have no idea.
1: Yeah, and, you know, look, and I don't know enough about Clayton. Um, I don't think he has some horrible, tragic backstory where it's like they had to make him the bachelor from Michelle's season. I'm sure there's other candidates. But here's the thing. You know, they say like, oh, we just went back to another white guy. Well, yes, they did. But, you know, three of the last four leads have been people of color. You had Tasha, you had Matt, you had Katie, and then you had Michelle. So it's like, you know, it's like they're, yes, I fully understand that the first 40 seasons were basically all white. But they did change, and three of your last four leads before Clayton were people of color. So, yeah, it's
0: a good point. It's like, do we look at the trends of the last three years or the trends of the last 20? Yeah, because because you can
1: look at if you go to the last 20, you're always going to say this show is so white. They hate people of color or whatever. They have changed whether or not it's good enough and suitable enough for you. uh, Each individual, that's I guess that's for you to determine. But I guess they have made the changes when three of the last four leads before Clayton were people of color. And yeah, if you but if you say, well, Steve, that means only three of 44. Well, until we get to season 80 we're never going to catch up really if you if you you do that sort of math yeah
0: but you know that's how that's how i feel as a red sox fan thinking about the thinking about the yankees exactly look we're not we're not trying to catch up to what you guys did several decades ago we're just trying to beat you now but i'm sorry red Um, Red
1: sox fans have scoreboard over the yankees for the last 20 years you've won four world titles (laughs) they've won one and then they will scream well we've won more world titles than anybody in baseball okay great but i mean if you're going to use that argument don't you want to use a little more recency bias when we talk about that. Like who's good now? You haven't been good for, I don't say haven't been good. They haven't won a title in 20 years. (laughs) They've won one title in 20 years. You guys have won four. So you have bragging rights. They, they have bragging rights in overall number, but what does that really mean? And I deal with the same thing out here. I'm not a cowboy fan. I'm indifferent. I don't hate them. I don't like them. I just happen to live in Dallas. The Dallas Cowboys have been irrelevant in the NFL scene for 25 years. I hope people (laughs) don't understand. You realize the Dallas Cowboys have won four playoff games since their last Super Bowl win. Four playoff games in 25 years. They have not been relevant, yet they are the most, um, Forbes releases the most um, popular, not most popular, uh, the most most expensive franchises in all of sports, and Dallas Cowboys are are the single most expensive franchise in all of sports, and they are irrelevant when it comes to winning championships in the last 25 years. Not a five-year sample, not a 10-year sample. 25 years, they've won four playoff games. They haven't even reached an NFC championship in the last 25 years since they last won a Super Bowl. Yet they are the most expensive franchise in all of sports. So go figure.
0: Yeah, and what we say in New England, like what have you done for me lately? Yeah. So as far as the show is concerned, I think Michelle's going to be great I'll tell you what though, I started making some videos about like prepping for Michelle's season. They're flopping. People aren't people would rather I you know that you know, obviously they say if it bleeds, it leads. People are still unwrapping what happened with Bachelor in Paradise <laughs> that I don't think I don't yeah, I'm just so I haven't seen um I haven't seen a ton of views on the internet based off of the lead up to Michelle's season, but my hopes are everyone's, you know, fall season, the sun's going down earlier. People aren't doing their barbecues. I think her ratings will improve over Katie's season. Um, And I never really blamed Katie's season for the bad ratings. I think it's like, all right, we finally got to the summertime during the second year of a pandemic. I think people were getting vaccinated and going out there and having a good time. And maybe, maybe the views dropped a little bit, but um, I think Michelle's season will be good. Uh, And I'm glad they picked someone like Michelle over someone like Piper. I'm glad they were able to see that Michelle seems to be like a really, great person she seems mature and um caring and all the things that you want in the lead so uh my my big question was how are they going to find drama in this season because she seems so you know like such a good lead but of course you know i'm sure they're casting knuckleheads so
1: we'll have to see yeah they'll they'll find it they'll make sure that at at a at a cocktail party when one guy goes in for an itm a producer will be behind the camera saying hey, what do you think about this guy doing this? And then that gets him to go off on him, and then it gets out into the group that this guy said this about this guy, and that's where your drama starts. It doesn't have to necessarily have to be with Michelle at all. Um, so right. I'm sure it will be with, you know, the drama will always be between the contestants and themselves and who's acting fake around Michelle, who acts, you know, for the cameras, and they're not really there for Michelle, and they're just there for followers. It's going to be the same storylines that we, you know, we see all the time, but... Yeah, it'll be interesting. And the other thing I think that probably why, um, you know, almost as a marketing tool is they're going to be able to pitch Michelle's season as, Hey, come see Michelle, our bachelorette, the girl who finished second on Matt season, watch her find love. And you'll be able to see your next bachelor. I mean, they've never been able to do that before. Um, Basically promote their next bachelor during the bachelorette season. And look, I don't think Clayton is going to just blow everyone away and and have and just everyone's going to be like, oh, my God, I can't wait for this season now that I've seen him. But it just gives people a little glimpse into him and what to expect, because we're now going to see for the first time ever our bachelor's journey on his bachelorette season before. You know, he knew he was the bachelor and, you know, before it airs, we're, we're already going to know. We're already going to see as opposed to. in the yeah, in past. Just, it- we'll have seen a season and then like, oh, he's now being named the bachelor. OK, now you're going to get to watch him from the second Clayton steps out of the limo. He will be dissected in everything he does and says because we know he's the bachelor.
0: It's like when they—it's like when you watch like a movie and they'll start with the death. They'll like show you who died, and then they'll go like three three months earlier, and then yeah. they show you. It's like they're giving you the ending. They had to do it. They couldn't not reveal this, you know, just due to the scheduling. And yeah, I mean, we get to see kind of you know like how far he makes it and and uh, you know and all that. But um, yeah, I mean, it'll be. It is. Well, I mean, we'll have to see, and it could just be a ploy where they're like, all right, this guy's from Missouri. This is the heart of Midwest. Yeah. We got to play to that base. And that might be it too.
1: Well, the other thing is, I mean, it, it is still weird that this show nobody. Well, I, I want to say the show. Fleiss, Robert Mills, the network, nobody from the show until yesterday, even though Clayton is four episodes into his filming his season, Has even mentioned the fact that there's been no press release, nothing, that Clayton Eckert is our next bachelor until yesterday when Jesse Palmer posted on his Instagram, here's our next bachelor. And it it was just a weird way to announce it when the show still hasn't acknowledged that this is our next bachelor. Maybe it's because nobody has seen him on our screen yet and they're going to wait until after premiere night, I guess. I don't know. Maybe maybe they're not going to do anything. And they're going to let, they just assume everybody knows by now and they're just going to let Jesse Palmer's Instagram post speak for itself i don't even think they need to make an announcement anymore because what's the point it's just going to be like okay w- what took you so long we're, we're well aware he's already into his filming we've seen pictures from him during filming come out like what's the point it just seems weird I, I didn't really understand their strategy here and i'm probably never going to understand it but now that it's so late they're probably not going to make any sort of announcement that clayton is their
0: bachelor. oh yeah like I've had people go, Oh, Dave, you're spoiling it. Why are you doing this? And I go, listen, when the mayor of the guy's hometown makes a 50 foot sign and, and, and throws it over the town square, that's the spoiler. Yeah. We all know it doesn't matter. He wasn't the top two or whatever, you know? Yeah. So that's- it's, it's a unique scenario. It's just a unique year. It's kind, they're kind of back They were, you know, they were obviously backed up from Claire's season. You know, they kind of black, backed up, added an extra season. Everything's a little shuffled and this is the way it works.
1: Yeah. And one thing I want to end on is uh real quickly, the Dance with the Stars thing from last night. I didn't see your video, but how did you take this to be because for those that didn't see it, you got the you got the bottom 3 on the bottom 3 couples on Dance with the Stars. One of them was eliminated, Brian and Sharna. And then it's down to Kenya and her and Brandon, her partner, and then Matt James and Lindsay. And <clears throat> for the last couple of seasons because they don't want people flooding the votes and bad dancers staying longer than they should. They've left it up to the judges. They take the bottom two couples and the judges decide which couple they want to keep versus which one they want to send home. So just in case a really good dancing couple ends up in the bottom two, because they've for whatever reason, got a lot of low votes judges would keep them and they, a good couple wouldn't go home early. So last night, those two uh, Brandon, uh, Brandon and Kenya Moore, and Lindsay and Matt James are the, are the bottom two, and there's four judges. Bruno chooses to keep Matt and Lindsay. I think Carrie uh, Derek chooses to keep Brendan and Kenya, and then Carrie Ann chooses to keep Matt and Lindsay. And we're just like, okay, it's two to one. There's a fourth judge. What he was only supposed to break the tiebreaker. What so the the, the fourth judge Len votes and says. I'm sending Matt I, – I vote to, to eliminate Matt and Lindsay. Well, the vote's 2-2. Two, two. Why did Matt and Lindsay go home? And and that's where we're at. I guess we just have to sit here and scratch our heads until Dance with the Stars addresses this.
0: Yeah, well, so I guess Len, you know, he's the head judge, so he's yeah. the tiebreaker. So if he votes for for Matt to go home, then then it's a 2-2 two, two vote, and his carries extra weight, so the vote follows him. But uh, But, yeah, I mean – and it's and it's like I, she, Kenya was she's a great she's a beautiful dancer. She's doing a great job. I, I wanted I thought there was I thought Matt didn't quite have his best dance yet. So I was kind of rooting for him to stay just as a as an athlete. I felt like he was going to keep improving at a steadier pace. But, you know, that's just how it works. And people say, oh, the Bachelor fan base has such a big pull on these shows. But it's like clearly this shows that whether it's because he's not a good a dancer as Caitlin or Hannah um, or if it's due to other factors, like maybe some people don't like Matt James from his season, who knows? Or the
1: fact but, that yeah, they, they don't, they, they, they don't like the woman that he's dating. <laughs>
0: like, exactly. Uh, exactly. Uh, oh, if he's they, still they, with her.
1: I'm not voting for him. You know, just, which, which like I,
0: I encourage people to check out if, you know, to just judge them from their Instagram accounts. They're out there doing charity work. They're out there zipping around town, whining and dining. They, they're, they're just sharing like young love. They really, I hate to say it, I feel like such a creep watching them, but I enjoy what they're doing with their platform. And I think, um, I don't think that they should be punished for that.
1: Well, I said this on the first episode of Dancing with the Stars. I've seen more of Matt James' personality just in his intro package than I did in 11 episodes of him as The Bachelor. And just, oh yeah. and I said that on the first night, watching him for the first five weeks this season, same thing. The guy is a thousand times more charismatic on this show than he ever was on The Bachelor. And I get it. Bachelor's a little more serious. It's about love and you're, you know, finding who you want to be with, all that bullshit that they want to sell you. But the bottom line is we didn't see this Matt James on The Bachelor. And it's been, you know, it sucks that he's gone so early. I, I've enjoyed watching him. I, I've just enjoyed seeing a completely different side to him than we ever saw on, you know, in The Bachelor world.
0: Yeah, on Bachelor they're trying to break you for those dramatic moments, and on Dancing with the Stars they're trying to highlight the good in you. It's just like a, it's just like a different type of show. Oh yeah. So th- that's why I thought like if Chris Harrison wanted to go on Dancing with the Stars, I knew he would, and maybe he will in the future. I was like, that's a genius idea. I mean, they made Sean Spicer look like a decent guy. You know, like the show, the show is there to highlight the good that people are doing. And I think he would kind of look good. And, and, and it also it's there's so much humility that comes from trying to dance. If you're not a dancer that the audience just wants to root for you because you're like, all right, we've never seen this person dance before. All right. Well, they're trying their best. We're going to root for them. It's, it's a very basic, like human need to root each other on. Um, where, whereas like someone like Jojo, no offense to her she's like a pro dancer basically. <laughs> so like uh, the, the, the people that are really good at dancing on the show, I, I'm, I'm happy for them, but I'm, I'm rooting on the wrestler. I'm rooting on the, the people that have never danced before, because I like, that's the, are the ones like truly stretching their boundaries.
1: Yeah. This show, um, this show definitely is for the underdogs. And that's who the fan base usually gets behind because the biggest complaint about the show has always been, there's always two to three people this on that show every season that have some sort of dance background. And it doesn't mean you have ballroom dance background, but if you have a dance background, that means you have rhythm. And that means, you know how to at least do things. If you're someone who has no dance background whatsoever, but yet you turn into somebody halfway decent, that's more compelling. It's more intriguing than somebody who has a dance background that just learns how to do certain steps, you know, because you, you flow. better if you've been a dancer in your past, even if it was ballet and now you're doing the tango, you can't tell me that you don't look more graceful than somebody who has never danced in their life before. It's just, you yeah.
0: Can't. Like, like, uh, like I love Jimmy Allen, the country musician, even Olivia Jade. I mean, you, you can't really hold her guilty for what her parents did. She's this young, you know, obviously very privileged person. Yeah. And, and she says she's never danced before, but she's looking great out there. Suni Lee gymnast, never danced. She's clearly so blocked by like, she's never even held another guy's hand. You know, she's like a, you know, the, she was the gold medalist or whatever. So it's like, yeah, like I want all these people. It's fun to watch them. Yeah. Uh, so unfortunately like I don't think we got to see that moment with Matt James, but I also think they were, I also think they, they pinched them on their scoring. I, I don't know. I might be biased.
1: Yeah, no, they did. And I think that there's, you know, if, if, if Len is the deciding judge and his vote ultimately matters, then why did the other three even get to vote for the final? Why is not it just Len choosing? Or are you saying yeah. that if the other three were three zero for Matt and Lindsay to stay, and and Len says no, I want them to go, it wouldn't have mattered because Len would have been outnumbered. I I just maybe they're going to release some sort of statement or acknowledgement of what exactly that was. But a lot of people are confused because I think the other thing was in the past, you know, only for the last few seasons have they had four judges. It's always been three, so it made sense. For Len to cast the deciding vote if Bruno and Kerry split on who they wanted to keep, yeah, that makes right. sense. But when it was two one, it's just like, okay, Len, yeah, you. But it's now two two, and I get you're the head judge, but I don't know. It's just something about that doesn't make a lot. Of, doesn't yeah, make a lot also, of sense.
0: Also, Derek Huff wasn't there last week or the week before. He's got like a Vegas uh, residency. Well, yeah, so he was if, exposed. If, to if COVID. this was, yeah. yeah, oh yeah, if this was an episode where Derek wasn't there. Then Matt James is still dancing. You know, it's just one of those like yeah. clearly this clearly the system's a little flawed, but who you know?
1: Yeah, there and we this are. is yeah this isn't this isn't a uh, this is for <laughs> the joke of first world problems is what we're sitting. Oh here yeah, yeah. This is like okay, like who? I mean, ultimately, who really cares? It's not like Matt was going to win anyway. But for his sake, for people that don't know, every week you last on that show, you make more money. I mean, that show is not for fun. Um, in terms of just going on, you get you get a base salary of around one twenty five to be on the show and then every week you last you get a bonus. The first three weeks I believe is twenty thousand, weeks four to six is thirty thousand, weeks seven to nine is forty thousand and if you get to the finals it's fifty thousand. So that's yeah, why people like Hannah and Caitlin made almost five hundred thousand dollars by winning that show. So, yeah, isn't
0: that crazy? Versus like Bachelor in Paradise, they're 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 going there for a couple hundred bucks in a in a sunburn. <laughs>
1: yeah, a, a per diem, a sunburn, and bad pizza. Like that's basically what they're <laughs> what they're going for. But uh, Dave, I really appreciate it. A good ninety minute talk. Um, it's always fun to talk to you. I'm glad we were able to uh, get in touch again. Um, some really good stuff there in the first uh, forty minutes, talking about just you know everything that went on in the show, the cancel culture world, and just. Fans of this show, and I guess the biggest, I don't know, I guess the biggest message that I'd like to just relay to the fans is it just, there doesn't have to be such black and white when it comes to everything regarding this show. There's just so much more gray area that I just don't think a lot of fans uh, want to see or want to talk about. And I'm not talking about spoilers, because spoilers are black and white. Either this person, you know, gets the rose or doesn't. This person gets eliminated or they doesn't. That's black and white talking about the storylines and the things that you hear and you know having an opinion about the show and stuff like that it's just not everything is so black and white and maybe we should just take a step back and realize that there's a lot more nuances to what goes on in this franchise
0: yeah that sounds great
1: (laughs) yeah no i mean i I, that's just the way i feel it's just and trust me my mind's changed over that the last few years like i was definitely a black and white guy three or four years ago. Now it's just like I see things. Um, I'm starting to see things differently when it comes to the show. And and it's because of the toxic fan base and the things that we talked about earlier, the things that people say, because you still followed Brendan, that means that you enabled him, which means you hate Natasha. Just the shit like that that's going on and people being not necessarily canceled but called out for follows and likes is is getting completely out of hand it just you know i
0: always i always say this people are trying their best with the information they have and there's a lot of ignorance out there you know so that's kind of the, the root of a lot of you know the hate
1: yeah no it is but um again appreciate you coming on man um take care hope you stand up career uh, you got any gigs coming up for stand when does this come out it'll be out to tomorrow
0: okay so yeah friday night i'm in north hollywood people can reach out to me on instagram if they want to come it's a B Y O B free show, fun outdoor LA show. And, um, I'll be in New York end of New York, uh, sorry, New York, uh, right after Thanksgiving and some other dates in there. So people can just go to my Instagram at D Neils or on Facebook, Dave Neils community. And that's where I post all my show dates.
1: And YouTube, all your YouTube videos, or just go to YouTube and type in Dave Neil, and uh, you know, your yep. videos will come up. So again, thanks a lot, man. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'll be in touch. Thanks, buddy. You got it thanks so much to Dave for that. I really, I know it was 90 minutes and I know it was a lot, but man, I think we really touch on some things that maybe people just don't think about or just don't see, because like I said, everything's so black and white with everybody. And if it's, if you see something black, you're not even, it's just, no, it's it's your way or the highway. Or if you see something white, it's your way or the highway. There's just so much more nuanced stuff going on in this show. And, I really I really think there's a lot of good stuff in there if you're, if you're willing to listen and you're willing to open up your mind to things as opposed to just being so close-minded because of certain biases you may have already had going in. So thanks to Dave for coming on. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Please rate, subscribe, and review an Apple podcast. It is much appreciated. We will be back next week with another episode. So for Dave Neal, I'm Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. We will talk to you next week. See you!